Hey y'all, and welcome to The Podluck, serving up bite-sized tastes of the best theology. I'm your host, Megan Westra. Grab a plate, and let's dig in. season episode of season three of the podluck if you missed the first preseason episode for season three that's in your feed now make sure that you listen to that one as well before diving into season three when we're going to be looking at and walking through the gospel of matthew in the first preseason episode i talked about kind of three questions to carry with you anytime you're reading scripture generally broadly And today we're going to look specifically at the book of Matthew and some background information that I kind of want to have us all to share in common before we start walking our way through different passages. The second question that I said was important to consider whenever you're reading a book of the Bible or a particular passage of scripture uh, in the last episode was, who is the writer and to whom are they writing? to remember that the Bible was written by real people, to real people, for a purpose at all times whenever we're reading it. We're kind of dropping in. We're picking up the phone receiver and listening in to somebody else's conversation. If you are old enough to remember landlines and how you could you know, pick up the, the phone in the other room really quietly and listen in to somebody else's conversation, not that I ever did such things just to be clear. But that's kind of what we're doing when we when we read scripture. We're picking up on something else that has, is happening between and with real people in real time. So we turn our attention to the gospel of Matthew. Uh, scholars don't entirely know who the author is uh, for this gospel, but it's generally agreed upon that whoever wrote this gospel uh, also had access to the Gospel of Mark. There's a lot of shared uh, content. Um, you know, Matthew needed to leave some footnotes and things like that, maybe. No, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, but there's a lot of overlap there. So it's generally agreed upon that the author of Matthew had access to Mark, uh, that it was probably written around the year 80 CE, so sometime after the death and resurrection of Christ. Uh, So this is not something that was being written in real time, you know, somebody following Jesus around as he was doing things and taking notes on a scroll or something. No, that's not what was happening. Um, So probably written down around 80 CE, which is about 10 years after the temple was destroyed. Um, So there's some like historical things going on there where you have uh, the empire, the Roman Empire, essentially trying to crush Jewish uprisings that were happening and and destroying the temple, um, which was the house of worship. And so that happened about 10 years probably before this particular gospel was written down. So it's important to be thinking about kind of the, the historical political climate of all of that. Um, if you will. There are deep ties to Judaism in the book 
of Matthew. We need to remember when we're reading this text that Jesus is Jewish, and so are the disciples. There is this tendency in Christian circles sometimes, and, and progressive Christian circles are not exempt from this, uh, to read scripture with kind of an anti-Semitic lens that we've inherited over the years from from different people who have gone before us to kind of pit Jesus against the Pharisees as as if the Pharisees are the enemy or they're the the bad or the evil people. Jesus was Jewish and Pharisees were Jewish and there were different ways in which different schools of thought within Judaism at the time. Yeah, the Pharisees, Sadducees, uh, Essenes, different schools of thought within Jewish culture for what faithfulness looked like and what it should be like um, for people to worship God and how they go about doing that and things like that. So we do well when we resist the kind of easy approach of reading scripture and saying there's a binary choice here between Jesus and the Pharisees. And these people are always bad and they're always wrong. And start to understand that a little bit more as a as a community dialogue, that there's a discussion happening between Jesus and the teachers and Jesus and the Pharisees and Jesus and 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 this is an ongoing dialogue. It's a back and forth and that that wasn't something that was uncommon, that there were lots of different camps and lots of different schools of thought. And the ways that the Pharisees thought faithfulness looked was different than how the Zealots thought faithfulness looked. And that was different than how the Essenes and the the Sadducees thought faithfulness looked. And so there were sometimes really sharp disputes among these different camps. And that was normal. And Jesus is a part of that. And the disciples are a part of that. And so we want to resist reading sort of a, a evil Disney villain kind of narrative onto the text from our position, however many thousands of years later, um, in which, you know, so often most Christians who are reading this text uh, aren't aren't Jewish. Um, We're we're just Christians. We don't have any sort of Jewish background um, that's informing that. And so we want to be careful that we are respecting the tradition that truly saturates the book of Matthew. So much so that even in the form that the writer of this gospel takes, Matthew has five main blocks of teaching. Uh, The book itself is almost divided into five different chunks. And most scholars agree that this mirrors and is intended to mirror or parallel the five books of the Torah or the Pentateuch. Um, the first five books in our Christian Old Testament, but the the Jewish scriptures. Um, So the author of Matthew, even in the form that the book is taking, is kind of setting Jesus up as an authoritative figure, similar to Moses, the presumed author of of those books in, in the tradition. And so even in the way that Matthew is setting up his gospel, he's saying that there, Jesus has authority to speak to this tradition. Matthew is the only gospel also to speak directly to or about the church. 
Uh, in Greek, the word is ekklesia, which is a word that means gathering. It has a political connotation to it. Um, you know, prior to using it to refer to gatherings of people who followed Jesus, it was used to talk about people who would gather for political reasons. So maybe it's also important to think through, does Jesus and the way we think about Jesus have bearing on our politics? And how does that get fleshed out? I know that that can get really sticky because we are all very keenly aware, especially if you're listening in the United States right now, of how a marriage of uh, Christian iconography, Jesus, and politics can be an incredibly violent and dangerous thing. And throughout history, it has been. would like for us to also consider, can that be a liberating or life-giving thing? Because there's also evidence for that. Just depends on how we hold it. But Matthew's the only gospel to, to speak directly to or about the ecclesia, the, the church. Uh, one of the commentators on the gospel of Matthew, Frederick Dale Bruner, uh, divides his commentary actually into two books, two separate books, the first of which he calls the Christ book and the second, the church book. And he kind of sets up his analysis of the book of Matthew as answering two sets of questions. You know, first, who is who is the Christ? Who is Jesus? Who is the Messiah? And then the second is like, who is the church? Or what is the church? And how, what does that mean to be a people gathered to bear witness to and to try to follow the Messiah, the Christ? So there's that. So I think inherent to the book of Matthew, we kind of also are going to wade into this question of, what is church for? Who is the church? Like, is church important? And that that kind of all gets folded into the Gospel of Matthew, particularly as opposed to other Gospels. We need to also remember that the author of this text, like I said earlier, was writing around 80 CE, wasn't following Jesus around with a scroll, taking notes like a daytimer. The author is not writing like a historical account where they're trying to just get the minutiae of the day-to-day correct and in order. The, the author is writing to make a case. There's an agenda here, and that's not a bad thing. I think sometimes we've learned to see agenda in a text or in a piece of writing or reporting or whatever as a, as a bad thing. Uh, but not necessarily with the type of literature that a gospel is. The person who wrote Matthew is making a case. They have certain things that they want you to take away from this, and they're intentionally putting pieces of Jesus' life and ministry, including certain things and ordering things in a particular way so that you'll take away what they want you to take away. Kind of like how when we read different pieces of literature, usually the author is trying to get you to see, if not a clear message, at least invite you into some sort of complexity. They're inviting you and kind of like lighting up the pathway toward the question that they want you to sit with or the message that they want you to take away. You know, sometimes this is really simple. If we think about certain books in like young adult fiction, I feel like is a particular genre where you can kind of see the author's intent so clearly oftentimes. And that 
becomes part of the fun of that particular genre is, you know, you read the Hunger Games and everybody is trying to choose like, okay, well, like, are you team PETA or, or not, you know, and you're, you're trying to like choose which, which of the narratives you want to pick up on and how you want to take that. And if you don't read young adult fiction, then that probably doesn't make a lot of sense to you. And you maybe should pick up some young adult fiction. It's like book candy and it's very, very fun, but that's an aside. So we need to remember as we're reading the gospel of Matthew that the order that the the stories are being put together, the things that we are being told are on purpose and they are meant to point us toward something, meant to tell us something about who Jesus is and who we are called to be as people who are trying to follow Jesus. And that that intentionality or agenda behind what the author is putting down isn't a bad thing. That's just part of acknowledging the text and what it's doing. So that's just a little bit of background on the book of Matthew. Um, Things that I want you to kind of have in your back pocket as we're reading and working our way through. Although certainly not everything you need to be aware of, I think that will help us get our grounding in this text as we begin to work our way through. On Friday of this week, over on Patreon, there will be a centering exercise recorded uh, for you to work through if you're a supporter on Patreon, and that'll happen every week on Friday, where I will just invite us to sit with the passage that we worked through that week on the podcast and you know become aware of how that's landing in our bodies and in our spirits and in our minds and to work through some of that so that we can hopefully integrate some of the things that we're learning together this week the centering the meditation will just be kind of a a, a welcoming practice to invite ourselves to consider how even the idea of approaching scripture uh, strikes us. And so that will be on Patreon on Friday. If you are a patron, then you already will have access to that. If you are not yet a patron, then you can follow the link in the show notes to sign up for that. Otherwise, make sure that you're subscribed to the Podluck wherever you're listening today so that you don't miss our first discussion on the book of Matthew next week on Wednesday when it will be live. Um, If you have time, take a minute and rate and review the show as that helps other people to find the podluck and what we're doing. And until next time, I have been your host, Megan Westra. Thanks for tuning in to the podluck.